If there's one thing that might shake the heart of someone who wants more and more, it's this thought. I've worked so hard for all these possessions, and when I die, somebody else spends it. Somebody else gets to enjoy it. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. What is it that you want more than anything else in this world? Beyond our relationship with Christ, most of us would want a good relationship with our spouse and strong friendships. But it's hard not to want material things too. On today's broadcast, David continues his Treasure Hunter series with a message called The Danger of Coveting. Um, We're dealing in a series on what can hurt the heart more than anything else, and that's a love of money. Now, you know we're looking at several parables in this series as we try to learn how to understand the perils of being a treasure hunter. And over one half of all of Jesus' parables, all of his stories, have to deal with the problem of money. Uh, We know, for example, Jesus said you can't love God in money. There's something that woos us with money, a spiritual force. Uh, Paul said to his letter to Timothy, um, the root of all evil is the love of money. Not that money itself is the root of evil, but the love of money. So the question we're asking is where's your heart? What does your heart quest after? What does your heart love? Today's message will look at the second thing that imperils our hearts when we love money. Last week, the problem of comparing. We said that when you compare your life with other people's lives, especially in regards to money and possessions, only two things can happen and neither of them are good. Either you'll become prideful that you have more or you'll become envious that you have less. Both of those severely damage the heart. That's one of the perils of becoming a treasure hunter. The other one today is the whole problem of covetousness. Covetousness. Uh, Let me begin this way. Do you know what the major emotion that's caused when people spend a lot of time on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Vine, all the others, do you know what the major emotion is? It's been studied. The major emotion is coveting coveting. When you spend a lot of time on social media, the emotion that most often comes is coveting. (laughs) Can you imagine what would happen if people dared on their Vines or Twitter or Facebook account started showing pictures of them in not so good states? Can you imagine a mom, for example, doing a periscope of her running around yelling at her kids? Hashtag being a great mom. You know, would you ever imagine that? Or how about a teenager taking a selfie and showing off all her pimples? Hashtag pimples, it's never done. You don't do that. You always show yourself best on social media because that's because you want to impress other people. And when you do so, when people look at all that you have, all that you own, all you possess, the natural emotion that most often comes is what? Coveting. You start to yearn for what they have. It's amazing. The advertising industry in America spends annually $500 billion to get you to covet. $500 billion to get you to buy stuff you don't need, to spend money you don't have, to impress people you don't even like. $500 billion spent to get you to covet. What is coveting? It is a deep inward desire to possess what other people have. And the Bible addresses it almost from day one. 
In fact, it's one of the big 10. Did you know that? Coveting is one of the 10 commandments not to do. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, you shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You will not covet what other people own. It's one of the big 10. And the key word that describes coveting, in my opinion, is this word, more. More. It's a narcotic. It gets deep within our soul and starts driving us to think that happiness means just having a little bit more. And the root emotion that drives that desire to have more is coveting. Now, it's interesting in the Ten Commandments, it's the last of the Ten Commandments. And I want you to keep that in mind. It's number 10 for a reason. Now, before we get into that, let me share with you, Jesus also addressed the problem of coveting in one of his stories. Let me share with you this thought. I wonder if this is a true story you're about to hear. I wonder if it just had happened right when Jesus told it. I wonder if the listeners listening to Jesus tell it knew he was referring to a person who just a few hours beforehand had died. As I read this to you, keep it in mind, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That, that whole phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, was a phrase that everyone in that day would have understood. It was an Epicurean phrase. It's almost like Jesus is taking a jab at the Epicurean philosophy. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is this a true story? Had it just happened? If so, it makes the story even more compelling. Let's look at several aspects of this story. First of all, the context. Jesus had just finished in the previous chapter teaching some great in-depth truths about anxiety, about how we should never worry about anything and trust God in everything. And out of the blue bolts someone's phrase, yelling at Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So somebody listening to Jesus' teaching suddenly changed the whole subject. The problem was his brother, probably an older brother, who by law is guaranteed two times his father's inheritance, had been given his inheritance, but the other part had not been given to him. 
So he's ticked off. He's one angry dude. So he yells out at Jesus, tell my brother to share with me my inheritance. Jesus' response is absolutely fascinating. He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I love that. You know why? I've preached for years that every single one of you needs to know exactly to where God's called you. You need to know the plan and purpose that God has for your life. It's probably tied up greatly in the giftedness that you have. And here's the reason you need to know it. Because when you know what you're supposed to do, you also then know what you're supposed to not do. Jesus was on mission. He knew what God had called him to do. The plan the Father had given to him when he took on human flesh and became God among us was to go to the cross, die for our sins, and then be raised from the dead to prove it's true, then ascend to heaven to rule over all the universe and one day return. He is coming back one day, folks. When he does return to judge the living and the dead. That's Jesus' plan. That's his purpose. Now, he was going to Jerusalem here, and he knew that plan the Father had given him. Now someone wants him to step in and be the arbitrator of his family's inheritance dilemma. And Jesus says, who am I to do that? In other words, that's not the calling my Father gave me. I'm not stepping into that mess. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm not supposed to do. And I, I know I've had that many times in the ministry God's given me here. I know what God's called me to do, to build this church, to preach the gospel, to try to help all of you be launched into the world, to serve in the name of Jesus so that he alone receives the glory. But I'll at times have people come to me and say things like, arbitrate our family dispute. Come in and try to solve this problem that's going on in my life. And I know that's not what God's called me to do. And I have to say no, sometimes to people's dismay. But when you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you're not supposed to do. There are other people who are called to be arbitrators in the midst of difficult situations. In this day, there were judges who were assigned by law to intercede for inheritance problems. And Jesus knew that was not what he was called to do. So therefore, he says no. But then he launches into a story about a man who had great possessions. And in this story, we see the cause of all coveting. So let's go back to the Ten Commandments. As I mentioned to you before, thou shalt not covet is the Tenth Commandment. And if you know your Decalogue, as it's called, the Ten Commandments, the first five have to do with how to worship God. And the last five had to do with how to worship your neighbor, how to love your neighbor. So the first half has to do with how to love God. The second half has to do with how to love your neighbor. And the commandments that precede the commandment not to covet are you shall not murder, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. Then the last one, number 10, is you shall not covet. Now, why is that important? It's because all the other ones that are telling how to love your neighbor are rooted in the problem of coveting. All the ways that people hurt their neighbors are rooted in the law of not coveting. Think about it. Why do people murder? They often covet. Why do people lie? They, they, they often covet what people have. Why, why do people steal? They, they covet what they have. Why do people commit adultery? They covet what they have. 
Interestingly, this last commandment is the only one that has to do with the heart. All the other ones, especially the last five having to do with loving your neighbor, are performance-based. They're things people do. But the thou shalt not covet is the one commandment that's internal. It's of the heart. It's what motivates people to do what they do. You know, the Apostle Paul, at one point in Philippians, the third chapter, says he was living as a Pharisee and thought there was a time when he was righteous under the law. Do you know what he's saying there? He thought there was a time when he perfectly obeyed every single one of the Ten Commandments. Then in Romans 7, 7, we see what brought Paul to Christ. What was it? Number 10. He said, I would never have known what coveting was had the commandment, thou shalt not covet, be given to me. It was the 10th commandment that finally drove him to Christ because he realized even though outwardly he performed all these things, inwardly he had a covetous heart that desired more and more and more and more. The cause of coveting is internal. It is in the heart. It is a part of the inner life. It's a heart that desires to have more. Did did you catch it when I read to you the parable, and I tried to emphasize it some, that six times this wealthy man used the term I. I. Five times he used the word my. And probably the most stark place he uses the adjective my, the pronoun my, is my soul. He thought he owned his soul. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So the cause of coveting is deep within every single one of us. Its source is our sin nature. Its source is our fallenness. It is what causes us to do most of the evil we do. It should be a driving force that takes us to the Savior Jesus. Now look at the cancer of coveting. It causes all kinds of ills in our lives. In Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the prophet Micah looked at the social scene in Israel and pronounced God's judgment upon it. And here's what he said. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. So woe to those who, even on their beds, just thinking of ways to pronounce evil upon other people, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Much of the evil in the society, Micah says, was caused by people's desire for more, for coveting what other people had. And they would take it, steal it, and the judicial system would do nothing. Proverbs 21, 26, all day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The person who has covetous as a problem in his heart just craves and craves for more and more. Did did you hear what Jesus said as he began this story? He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. He said, beware. Know it's there. Be on your guard. It is an insidious, stealth, 
camouflaged evil that dwells in the hearts of every human being. All covetousness. Real life is not about more and more, Jesus is saying here. It's not about having possessions. In fact, Jesus says this quest to have more and more ultimately leads to self-sufficiency. It leads to a life that does not ever consider God. And that's why, ultimately, when this man wanted more and more and bigger and bigger, God finally says to him, you fool, exclamation mark. You fool. Psalm 14.1 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. God calls this man a fool because he did not believe there's a God. He did not believe there's an eternity. He did not believe he would be accountable for his eternal soul. And that's why God says to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Fascinating. If indeed this was a story where someone just died maybe the night before, it would have resonated in the minds of every listener. You fool who doesn't believe there's a God. You fool who doesn't believe you're going to be held accountable for your life and how you've lived it. You are a fool. And then it's like Jesus tries to awaken his listeners and make them think about maybe the one thing that would shake them out of their doldrums for more and more possessions. He says... These things that you've worked so hard for, after you've died, whose will they be? If there's one thing that might shake the heart of someone who wants more and more, it's this thought. I've worked so hard for all these possessions, and when I die, somebody else spends it. Somebody else gets to enjoy it. And and he's hoping to get people to understand this quest for more and more simply will not work. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. How do you respond to change? Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about ways we can accept the inevitable changes in our lives. We'll be right back. What does the Bible tell us about the end times? The Bible is a book about soteriology, your salvation, redemption, and eternal life. David Chadwick has made an informative video called The End Time Prophecies. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God's Word is revealing facts about the times we live in, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We would love to give this video to you as a resource to equip you to help you understand the history and prophecies of the second coming found in the Old Testament. In this video, David covers the validity of Scripture, Jesus' first coming, and how we can have faith in His second coming. This video is a compelling account of the foundation of the Christian faith. To receive your free copy of this video, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener for your free copy of this informative, educational video from David Chadwick. End Time Prophecies from David Chadwick. Get yours for free today. 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being here with us. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, David, you titled this morning's e-devotion, The Only People Who Like Change Are Babies With Wet Diapers. <laughs> what do you mean by this? Well, it's a funny statement. It really is, but it could not be more true. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't like change, do we, Jen? No, people just don't like change. Yeah, even when the weather changes from day to day, from a sunny day to a rainy day to a cold day to a hot day, mm-hmm. we get frustrated and go, why is the weather changing like this? Especially if you don't like, in Charlotte. Yeah, if you don't like the weather in Charlotte, wait five minutes, you know. <laughs> that, that kind of joke. But the truth is, life changes. Yeah. That is the reality of what goes on around us. Mm-hmm. Life does not stay the same. And that's why when I heard this phrase some years ago, I adopted it as a reminder to me of a couple of biblical truths. First of all, life does change all around us. Second Corinthians 3.18 says that we're ever changing from glory to glory mm-hmm. if we're following Jesus. And that's not only outwardly. You know, our bodies do change. They get a little older, a little flabbier. The hair changes or we lose hair or whatever it might be changing, but it does change all around us. But also we're inwardly changing. At least we should be. We should be growing closer and closer to Jesus and shaving off more sin and becoming more like him in in every possible way. So life changes. Uh, We move from city to city. Uh, We have a baby, then two babies and three babies. Uh, Life is simply a process of constant change. We need to realize that. But also, we need to realize that we worship and serve a God who never changes. The fancy theological term is the immutability of God. It just means, again, that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. So in order to live this life to the full, I think we need to realize the importance of this Davidism today. Mm -hmm. The only people who like change are babies with wet diapers. They want that change to occur. But for all of us who live on this side of eternity, we need to accept that life is change, but we serve a God who is changeless. This is really a powerful truth. And I'm just thinking as a a parent, when my children were young, Younger, you know, right when we would get into a sweet spot of a routine and a schedule, they would change it up. They didn't require as much sleep or as many naps. And it was just like I could never settle into a, a a strict rhythm because they're humans. They're not robots, they right? They aren't at all. And um, my son, Michael, just had a baby, Grayson James Chadwick. He's only a couple few weeks old, but he's constantly whining and wanting to eat. Mm-hmm. And Marilyn, my wife, finally called him the other day and said, Michael, has he grown much? And he said, Mom, and in just a few weeks, he's grown several inches. Wow. And she said, well, that's what's going on. He's hungry because he's growing. Growth and spurt. that is life. You yeah. know, we have growth spurts. We change. We eat sometimes. We don't eat sometimes. It's just a part of the process of life. Wow. This is good. It's sobering. It's a great reminder. And it's actually, there's a grace with it because it allows us to say, you know, I'm going through a new season, and I'm changing. And you can lean into the grace of that. Exactly. Ever changing from glory to glory until we're perfected in Him in heaven. Mm-hmm. God, who began the good work, will be faithful to complete it, Philippians 1, 6. And then, in the meantime, we continue to worship this immutable God mm-hmm. of the universe. That's so good. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. And thank you, Jen. And anyone who would like to receive a daily Moment of Hope from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. You'll receive these in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. It's a gift from me to you to begin your day with a moment of hope. 
This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to get your free video called The End Times. This is our gift, free for all of our Moments of Hope radio listeners. This informative teaching looks at what the Bible tells us about the end times. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, that's momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. For all of us at Moments of Hope Church, this is Jen Houston.